You know, I know when I do things like that, there's always those like awkward moments that you have to go through where you like went in for a hug and someone just totally <laughs> went in there before you. But I still think it's worth it to hug people. I'm a hugger, so it's good. I remember when I uh, just started turning back to the Lord when I came to Korea. This is after my trip to Africa. I came to Korea, and at the time, the church that I'm a pastor of now was being led by a pastor named uh, Sam Epen, and he was an Indian guy from India. Yes. Yes, he is. He used to be my pastor. Yeah. How do you know Pastor Sam? Wow, it's a Korean church, right? Yeah, he's, he never left Korea. That's a, he left Korea, but he never left Korea. He's Indian on the outside and, you know, Korean on the inside. And he was my, he was my pastor. And one of the things that he used to do that, that I really believed brought healing to my heart was he would hug me. I mean, that sounds like, mm, that's great. But no, seriously, this Indian man, just, you know. And I would just get all in there and he'll be all like, mm. and, you know, I just, I remember just feeling the father's love, God, the father's love through his hugs. So I think the hugs are very powerful. In fact, one altar call at Emmaus, I think it was like a year ago, the altar call was just hugs. You know what I mean? It wasn't like laying hands and you know, whatever. I was like, now people are going to hug you and it's going to be powerful. And we just started hugging people. <laughs> Because what was going on was it wasn't, you know, Sarah hugging, you know, Aaron or Joe hugging Jody. It was just the manifestation of God embracing you. It was powerful. So I, I, I believe in hugs. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about tonight. I thought it was a good side note. How are you guys feeling? You guys feeling good? Now, I want to encourage you guys to stay alert when I preach this message. Just be alert. And whenever you get a thought that tries to, you know, distract you from other than what's going on here in this room, take captive that thought. And just shift back into the place of just tuning into this message. Remember, I talked to you guys about being fully present. Well, with this message in particular, I got to take you on a little bit of a journey to get where we're going to go. So you got to follow along. Okay. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when a, uh, when a powerful word goes out, the devil likes to attack with just distraction. And like randomly, I'll just start thinking about, I don't know, who knows, during the message. Or all of a sudden, I'll start getting sleepy. You know, like you were doing fine 10 minutes ago. And I'll... And then you start pinching yourself, you know, you start doing whatever you can. Whatever happens, do what you need to do and stay awake and stay alert. Because I believe that God has a powerful word that he wants to release to all of us tonight. And when I mean all of us, I'm including the student leaders. I'm including the volunteer staff. I'm including the staff. I'm including myself. I believe that the word of God for tonight is for all of us. I want you guys to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Hi, Ilyong. Ilyong, he's a mighty man of God. 
<laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 11. Okay? Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, if you guys haven't noticed, I've been reading from the ESV. If you guys don't have that version, that's totally okay. Um, we're going to read this all together and just read it from whatever version you have. But I think it's powerful when you say the word of God. You know, sometimes it, it's even powerful when you read the word of God from your Bible. You know, not just your phone or not just like on the, you know, oh, there's no PowerPoint there. Oh, well, that's gone too. But, you know, not on the PowerPoint, but when you actually open up a physical Bible and you read the word of God, I believe that there's power in that as well. But when you say it out loud, there's power. And so we're going to say this verse all together. And if you guys don't have a Bible, that's okay. Just scoot over and look at your neighbor's Bible. I want everybody to say this. Okay, verse 11. You guys with me? All right, here we go. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Everybody say fire. Now, up to this point, we talked about how we need to lay things down at the altar. And although burnt sacrifices literally don't happen on this side of the cross, the substance and the nature of it still happens in the sense that we go to Jesus, who became the ultimate burnt sacrifice. And we lay down at his feet the things that we need to let go of. And then I talked about how God wants to set you on fire. And before we understand that concept, we need to understand that God's heart is on fire for us. That he burns for us. And tonight, I want to preach on what the fire is. What's the fire? What does that even mean? What are we talking about here? This verse that we just read from is a quote from John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, if you guys know, was Jesus' cousin. And he was considered a forerunner. He prepared the way for Jesus to come. And part of that preparing the way was he would go out in the desert, wear camel hair vests, and eat locusts and honey. Like, he was, he was insane. To, to any normal person, they would have thought that he was a crazy man in the desert, preaching up a storm, telling people to repent because the kingdom of God was near while he's eating bugs and, you know, dipping it in honey and walking around looking all crazy. But even though he looked strange, and even though he, he, what he did seemed strange, there was this attraction that people had. And people from all over would go to see this John the Baptist preach. And many of them would see him preach and just something would happen. And they would just go to him and, what must I do? What must I do? And John would just begin to uh, uh, lead them to confess their sins. And he would baptize them in the river. And before Jesus comes to the scene, he says this. Listen, I baptize you with water. Okay, for repentance. But after me, somebody's coming after me. He is more powerful than I am. And I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. This man that's coming... He's not going to baptize you with water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. That word bapt uh, 
baptize. The original Greek word is baptizo. And that word doesn't, I, I, when I got baptized, the first time I got baptized, I got baptized three times. That sounds really intense. Once when I was a baby. Uh, the second was when I had my confirmation. Okay, I guess that's just how my church did it. And after my confirmation, when I came back to Korea, I wanted to get baptized again. And the reason why I desired to be baptized again was because even though I got that confirmation when I was like 12 years old, I really feel like my uh, living a, the life that I did after that time, I wanted to rededicate my life to God. I don't think that I lost my salvation. It was just I wanted to rededicate my life. I thought that I was going through a new season and I wanted to get baptized to represent that. And so I got baptized in Korea in this rushing river. Okay. And when I mean rushing river, I'm not talking about like, oh, like I'm talking, like it was insane. It was actually really dangerous. And looking back, I'm like, why don't we do that? Um, at JSCM, the church at the time, Pastor Christian was, um, we rented out a pension for like our first ever leaders retreat, which is just a few of us. And we did our baptisms there. And, you know, we were in this rushing river. And that word baptizo, it actually means to be submerged, okay, or immersed. Uh, it could also mean to be cleansed by submerging in water. Another terminology could mean to overwhelm. So the imagery you need to have, because when I got my confirmation, it was just a sprinkle. And when I was a baby, I had just a sprinkle. But, and that's okay. It's okay. But the imagery that we have when we experience baptism, whether you get a sprinkle or whether you're submerged in water, you have to understand what the, the heart of it is. And the meaning of that word is to be completely submerged in water and to come back out. All right. And so here I am in this rushing river and it was so fierce. The, the current was so fierce that, you know, I recited my Bible verse. I was like trying not to I can't, I don't know how to explain it that now that I'm standing, but I was trying not to like float down the, the river. As I'm reciting my Bible verse, Pastor Christian was like holding me down. And I recited, I recited a Bible verse and then he dunked me in the water. And as he dunked me in the water, like I literally went like a couple of feet down the current. So we had like catchers, you know, just in case you like went down and they kind of like pushed you back up. And then, you know, somehow I, I emerged back out of the water, but it was a complete immersion. And that's how John the Baptist baptized these people. They didn't get a sprinkle. They were fully immersed in the water. They were overwhelmed by the water. And now John the Baptist is now describing a man that's going to come who's more powerful. And this man is also going to give a baptism. So that word baptism is still the same. It means to be fully emerged, immersed, submerged or immersed. But this time it's with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, you know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and fire, I know that it can get a little bit confusing because to be baptized with the spirit, you know, it's this baptism of Jesus Christ. If you look at Jesus's ministry, he never baptized anybody with water. Not once. That wasn't his call. His call was always to baptize with the Holy Spirit, which he did when he uh, was when he right after he resurrected and before he ascended, he talked about the gift of the father. 
that was going to come. And that was going to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so when we hear about that, often we think, well, I thought I had the Holy Spirit. Why would I need a baptism of the Holy Spirit? Doesn't the Holy Spirit already live in me? I don't know about you, but I remember when I first heard baptism of the Spirit, like I got confused. Like, why do I need to be submerged in the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's inside of me. Like, how does that work out? Like, I don't, I don't really get that. And I remember during that time, uh, Pastor Christian gave this seminar that really helped bring clarity. And it's based from a book by Robert Heedler. And if this is something that's new for you, I'd really recommend this book. So write it down. The, the book is called Experiencing the Spirit. And the author is Robert Heedler, and the book is an awesome reference to just the biblical layout of, of how to make sense of what that means. And I'm just going to give you, like, just a short, I guess, teaching on it. Basically, when you receive Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit is automatic. It's not like you receive Jesus and then you got to wait around until maybe the Holy Spirit comes or until the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. It's just like purchasing a car. You don't expect to have to purchase an engine. It just comes with it. When you get the car, you get the engine. When you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he died for your sins, then the Holy Spirit comes in and he resides in you. But that ministry of the Holy Spirit residing in you, we call it the indwelling ministry. That's how Robert Heedler refers to it, the indwelling ministry. And this indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit is designed to mature you and to make you like Christ in character. It's in order for you to grow and become more like him. A great example of that is just by the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. If you list the different fruit of the Spirit, it pretty much explains the character of who God is. Uh, who Jesus is. And in that same way, that indwelling of the spirit, it allows us, it matures us, it shapes us, it grows us in order to, to get that fruit of the spirit more and more in our lives so we can be more like Christ in our character, to mature, to grow. But tonight, I'm not talking about the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about the spirit, the ministry of the spirit that already resides in you. I'm going to talk about another aspect of the Holy Spirit, another part of his ministry that's called the empowering ministry. Again, this indwelling and empowering, it's Robert Heedler's terminology, but I think it helps. And the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit is designed not to mature us, And to grow us, but to equip us to serve the Lord. To equip us, to enable us. So let me put it another way. The spirit lives within you to give you the character of Christ. And the spirit comes upon you to give you power in the ministry of Christ. So it's two things. So I don't want you guys to get confused about that. As I describe the baptism of the spirit, if that's not something you didn't experience before, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you believe in Christ, you do. Can we get an amen for that? Thank you, Lord. Okay. And so here, this empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit, what, what it does is when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, it begins to... Uh, fill you and give you an experience 
And that experience spurs you to a place of zeal. Okay? And that zeal leads you to new levels of praise and worship. It can often result in manifestations. I'll talk about that a little bit later. New level of of a spiritual discernment. If you guys um, remember the Pentecost, do you guys remember the story of the Pentecost in Acts? After Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, just wait. The disciples might have been itching to kind of go and do whatever, but he said, no, just wait here until the Holy Spirit that's promised to you comes. So in response, the disciples and other people would gather together and they were in an upper room and they were just praying, waiting on the Lord. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Let's just take a look at that real quick. And we're going to look at starting from verse 1. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Now there were, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together and, as they, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. That's crazy. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we can hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and, and Medes and Elamides and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Philampia and Egypt? I can't read any of those things. This is the part that I dislike reading out loud. And the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. <laughs> Both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And we were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. Basically, the scene must have been bizarre. Okay? Because some people were like, wow, this is amazing. I'm hearing them speak in my language, but they don't they shouldn't know my language. And, and then there were other group of people that thought, dude, they're drunk. They're straight up drunk. Can you imagine what would compel someone to say you're drunk? If you acted completely normal, I doubt someone would be like, dude, you're drunk right now. They must have looked quite different. Okay? People were mocking them. They were confused. What's going on? When we talk about the indwelling of the spirit, it's automatic. But when we talk about the empowering ministry of the spirit, it's not automatic. It's not right after you get saved. For some, it's like that. 
Even there's portions of scripture where they experience the fire of God even before getting saved. And so there's different versions of it, but it looks different from the indwelling ministry. And one of the things that are completely different is indwelling works within, but the empowering ministry of the spirit, it's outward. And you just see the manifestations, word of manifestation. Let me give you an example. For them, they looked like they were drunk. So I don't know about you, but when I think of people that are drunk, I, you know, they must have just looked, whatever, with their body, just crazy. Outwardly, when God is working in you inwardly, people can't tell. Oh, so like, wow, I just see the spirit really doing something powerful inside of you, right? And you know, no, but when the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit comes, it is an outward thing. And what happens? Like, what's the point of that? Why would God do that? Why is it necessary? I said earlier that the indwelling ministry is to make us have the character of Christ, but the empowering ministry is to give us the ministry of Christ, to equip us. What did Jesus do in scripture? Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. And watch this. As soon as Pentecost was, was happening and this, the fire of God touched each and every single person in that room and people started to mock them, Peter gets up and he walks up in front of all of these people and he begins to preach a message. And in this message is this incredible insight of scripture where he refers back to Joel chapter 2, 28 and 32, talking about the prophecy of the spirit of God pouring on all flesh. Old men, young men, sons, daughters, slaves, that all flesh would experience this power of the spirit. He begins to connect that. I doubt that Peter understood that verse until the spirit of God came upon him. And he preaches boldly. And 3,000 people come into the kingdom of God with that one message. The fire of God empowered him. It equipped him. And the moment he received it, a natural response of that was for him to get up, to preach to the crowds, the same guy that denied Christ three times, the same guy that cowered away and even cursed, the same guy that was, went back to fishing out of shame and guilt, this same guy, Peter, was boldly preaching in front of all of these people with a fresh revelation of Scripture. That happened because the empowering ministry of the spirit came upon him. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't have the baptism of the spirit, you can't do ministry. That is not true. But what I'm saying is it's another level of equipping that happens. And it's powerful. And in fact, I truly believe, this is my opinion. You can take it or leave it. But I truly believe that God desires it for all of us. It's not just for the preachers that are going to preach to thousands of people. It's for you. So you can be bold with your family. So you can be bold at your schools, at your workplace. There's a zeal of the Lord that comes upon you when the power of God is on you, when you get baptized in the spirit. It's powerful. God wants us to be equipped in that way. And some of the results of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. 
It's like speaking in tongues. A lot of people just want to avoid it. What's the point? You know what? I can live Christian life without it. You can. It's true. You can live Christian life without it. And you can still have a wonderful relationship with God without it. But why would you not want it? When you understand that the gift of tongues, it inspires you to be even more intimate with God. The gift of tongues is this language that's only between your spirit and with God. There's just understanding just in that connection. Your mind doesn't understand what's going on. That's why a lot of people don't want it because your mind feels like it's just doing nothing. But your spirit is fully engaged and activated. And your spirit and God is having a conversation here. Just like this. And it says in scripture that the gift of tongues was given to us in order for us to be encouraged. I believe that there's two types of gift of tongues. One is your personal prayer language. And the other type of gift of tongues is when you, pre, uh, when you have tongues and it's a, really a prophetic word. And someone who has to have the interpretation of tongues needs to hear that and then interpret it and then a prophetic word goes out. But there's one word. The one that I'm talking about here is a prayer language. That's one manifestation. Other manifestations, you see people fall. You see people shake. Think about a literal fire. When someone sets, if someone were to ever set you on fire, you probably won't be like this. You probably, that's happened to me, not literal fire. But when I've been set on fire spiritually, I literally look like I'm a person on fire. You just lose control. And you know what? It's embarrassing. And it's offensive. And it's designed to be like that. See, God offends our mind all the time. Even Jesus, his ministry was offensive. And he did it on purpose. He was offensive in order to reveal our hearts. If Jesus was interested in popularity, then he wouldn't go up to a bunch of people who are following and say, listen, drink my blood and eat my flesh. What? So many people left. They heard that, those words and they walked out. Like, okay, no, thank you. And walked out. He wasn't interested in being the most popular person. What he wanted was he wanted to test our hearts. And a lot of times the things of the spirit, when we look at it, we judge it. We get offended. We get afraid of it. And we want nothing to do with it. But I want to kind of remove the negative stigma of the fire of God. And I want to really encourage you guys about the substance of what happens when you have those kind of encounters. See, the fire of God, when it manifests, when we're talking about manifestations, everybody say manifestations. Manifestations are a sign. Everybody say sign. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were to go to Niagara Falls, I'm not going to go to the the Niagara Falls sign and just look at the sign. Take a picture with the sign. Take a selfie with the sign and then go back home. The sign is not, it's not it. The purpose of a sign is to point to something. It's supposed to say, hey, this is what's here. It's just a sign. The manifestations of God, when the fire of God comes upon you, when you receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
And, you, and people manifest in different ways, and some people don't even manifest at all. When that happens, you need to stop looking at that and see what's going on. And who is this pointing to? It is a sign to who God is. Some people, they hear about falling on the ground or feeling heat or they hear the stories of, oh, Pastor Aaron couldn't stop shaking for a month. And they're like, oh, I want that. Like, that's the end goal. I want the sign. Give me the sign, God. I just want the sign. More of the sign. When you have that mentality and that attitude, you're missing the Niagara Falls. You're missing it. You're looking at a sign. And it's pointing to something, but you're looking at the sign. And all you want is the sign. It makes no sense. When you look and desire, God, I want to experience you, your heart attitude needs to be because I want more of you. This is important because some people will manifest differently. When you, when you come to a point where maybe you hear a message like this and you're like, wow, I never, I never heard about baptism of the spirit. And I never knew about the spirit, not just indwelling in me, but that the Holy Spirit can come upon me. And that Holy Spirit coming upon me releases power in my life. Man, I want that. And you go up to the front and you want to receive prayer for that. And the person next to you is shaking and flapping around. And you're like, okay. Some of you are going to be like, heck no, I don't want that. And some of you are like, oh, I, I want to experience something like that. I want something supernatural like that. And the temptation is to get stuck on the sign, whether it happens or not. One of the ways that, the, that you can receive the fire is without any manifestations. None. I want to make this really clear. The fire of God is not just to set you on fire. It's in order to produce certain fruit inside of you. And when you're so focused on, on just the sign, you're going to miss what's going on. And I'm an example of someone who's quite sensitive to the spirit. So I remember the first time I ever got baptized by the spirit was when I was in high school. I was in ninth grade. Sam actually knows. I think you were at the retreat. Do you remember that speaker's name? Oh, wow. You have a better memory than I do. To me, I'm always like that random guy that led this retreat. Sam and I, um, he actually was attending a different church, and both of our churches combined for this retreat, which is pretty amazing that me and Sam are now at the same church, right? I didn't see him for years after that. But at this retreat, I knew nothing of the, this ministry of the Holy Spirit. I knew nothing about it. And this pastor comes in and starts preaching about the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, all these different gifts that, is, that are described in, in 1 Corinthians. And I'm just like, what? I was so confused. But deep down inside, I was like, yeah, give me some of that. I'm not a really big thinker. <laughs> Let me just confess right off the bat. I wasn't like, oh, okay, how am I going to, you know, fit this in my mind or whatever, whatever. I don't really struggle with things like that. My struggle is not thinking enough. But at that moment, as soon as I heard it, just something stirred inside of me. And I was like, I want it. So I remember this guy was like, I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to release the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, all right. So I went up online. And everyone's like all lined up. 
And they're, they're, you know, I don't know what to do. I didn't know what the posture was. So I was just like standing there and just like looking. And people were getting prayed for. And some people were falling. And, you know, some people weren't. And I got up and I was like, you know, like really, I, didn't, I just didn't know what to do. Like I didn't know what was going to go on. I didn't know what was going to happen. All I know is I just wanted to see. In my heart, it was like, God, if this is really you, I want it. Like, if this is what you really do, give it to me. That, that was my attitude. So I go up and I just stand there. And he's like very calm guy. He wasn't like in your face. And he was just like, laid his hand. And he just prayed a simple prayer over me. And the moment he touched my head, boom, I just went down. And I'm on the floor. Conscious. I'm fully aware that I'm on the floor. I'm not knocked out. I'm not in the third heaven. I'm aware that people are around me, and I, but I cannot move. And the feeling that I'm feeling at that moment is like a thousand bricks on my chest. Just the weight. Actually, glory in Hebrew, kabod, means weightiness. And I literally felt like the weight, but it wasn't like an uncomfortable, like some big dude sitting on my chest. You know, like it wasn't, I was like struggling to breathe. It was just, it was this weight, but it was this incredible peace. And I just laid there and I remember thinking, what's going on? And just the peace of God just began. It was like waves. That's the best way I can describe it. A wave of peace, a wave of peace. And I just started to bawl on the floor. I'm just bawling, 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 bawling on the floor. And, you know, after crying for a while, I got tired. And so I was like, all right, obviously it's now time to get up. But I couldn't move. And so I was like, oh, okay, all right. So I tried moving, like, my fingers. And I'm like, Neh. You know? And I was on the floor for three hours. And the youth group, there was young kids there, like the, the sixth graders, the middle school kids. Some of the middle school kids joined us. And I remember they all gathered around me. Because they were like, what's going on? Remember, my church never experienced anything like this. I was never taught any of this growing up. And they all gather around and they're like poking me. Like, you think she could hear us? <laughs> you know, like, is she okay? You know, like, just, and I'm fully aware of them. But I can't speak and I can't move. Can you imagine... Can you imagine what that must have been like? That sounds like a cool encounter, but that's not the part that even matters. What happened after that retreat was I got so zealous for the Lord. It wasn't about falling down and being on the weight, under the weight of God. That, that was awesome. It was a supernatural encounter. But it's about what happens afterwards. What's the substance? What's the point of you lying on the floor and crying for three hours if there's going to be no fruit or no substance? But after that incident, all I wanted to do is read the word of God. All I wanted to do was pray. I got set on fire. And I remember our church gave out, it was like a Korean Presbyterian church. So I don't know if other churches did this, but at the beginning of the year, they give out a little card with like little boxes next to every book and chapter of the Bible. And so if you read it, you like check it off. Right. And I remember it was like this orange card and I remember taking it and, and my, my goal, like when I was looking at it after being under, you know, the power of God like that, I was like, I'm going to check every box. And 
my parents would come and be like, go to bed, go to bed, go to bed. And in my room, I'd have a flashlight under the covers reading the Bible. I'm like, all right, all right. I turn it off and I just pretend to sleep. They leave and I click it back on. Just one more chapter. Just one more chapter. It was this insane hunger for the Lord. It was a sign that pointed to him. I wanted more of him. That was the result of that incident. When I got filled with the power of God in that way, it wasn't about the power. It was about the person that gave it to me. The God that gave me the power all of a sudden, I was like, wow, if this is what you do, Lord, I want all of you. A lot of you guys don't know that part of my testimony, I think, because I used to talk about the backslidden part. After that fire, uh, after that incident, I remember this man, same man, he laid his hands on me and uh, he, he talked to me later and he said, when I prayed for you, I saw that God gave you a gift of healing. And I was like, what? I didn't even have a grid for healing. Like I knew that God could heal, but I don't know when he wants to. And I remember just being so zealous at that moment that I prayed for everybody that was sick. And I remember there's this Anni uh, uh, at my church who had ins- insane pain in her teeth. And she had heard that I had gotten the gift of healing. I'm like a young kid, you know? And she was like, pray for me. So I remember going to the sanctuary, and I laid my hands on her, on her mouth, and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And the pain, gone. I was on fire. I was on fire. It was powerful. But you know what happened? About three months after that uh, fire season, I start, the fire started to dwindle. And I had, there was no setup of accountability or relationship in the church. There was nobody that was discipling me. It was just me by myself. And I hit a point where I just started wandering back to my old ways. And it's like, why would you do that after everything you've experienced? I don't know. That same year was the year I started a lot of my addictions. So can you imagine just fire of God and all of a sudden I'm in the store stealing? You know, fire of God and all of a sudden it's the, the first time I'm ever like, you know, making out with a guy. Or the fire of God and, you know, I just start, that's the first time I ever got drunk. That same year. The point that I'm trying to make is that it is, it is so important that we don't just pursue the fire of God, but we have to pursue the character of God. And in that place, when I got hit with that, I was so consumed with just that one area that I forsook the, the aspect of the discipleship and the submission to leaders that I needed. And the result of that was I lost the fire. I didn't know how to steward the fire. My whole youth group went through the same thing I did. We all got blasted at this retreat. And about three, four months in, everybody backslid. Everybody backslid. And I remember dismissing that whole time in my life. I completely forgot about it. I didn't even think about it. And the last, the the time I actually remember that incident was when the prayer team was praying for me after 
my healing and deliverance session. Remember I told you I got on, set on fire and I just did this long fast and all of that stuff. It was during that time I realized, oh my gosh, this is not the first time this ever happened to me. God, God already set it up in my life. He already marked me a long time ago. And it was then I realized I can't just rely on this alone. The empowering ministry of the spirit, it empowers us. It equips us. We're called to do signs and wonders. Did you guys know that? We're called to do signs and wonders. We can't do signs and wonders without the Holy Spirit. Just out of curiosity, how many of you guys ever experienced anything like that before? (laughs) Staff in the back smiling. Okay, you can put your hands down. (laughs) You know, there's two churches that Apostle Paul wrote letters to that I think provide a really important lesson for us. And the first church was the church of Corinth. And if you looked at the church of Corinth, this was a church that experienced the moves of the spirit, the outpour of the Holy Spirit. And they were prophesying and they were, you know, doing all of these things. And yet within the church, there was still like sexual immorality. And there was even uh, situations of like incest or, you know, sons sleeping with their father's wives or, you know, just all sorts of crazy things. The, the power of God was there. They were hungry for the power. But in terms of the character of Christ, it just wasn't there. And so Paul's letter to the church of Corinth warns them about that. And then there's another church, the church of Thessalonica. Thessalonica. That church, now that church was a church that really, really believed in in the indwelling ministry of the spirit, really uh, knew that we were called to be like Christ in our character and and called to be mature. And it was something that they, they knew and pursued, but they did not want the empowering ministry of the spirit. They weren't interested. In fact, Apostle Paul accuses them of quenching the spirit. It's two different types of churches. And I think a lot of people in our Christian walks, we fall into two, those extremes at times. Where we just get consumed with, with, the, with the manifestations and the power and this story and that story and wanting to experience that. And we forsake the, the substance. And then there's another side where we think, no, we're all good. We just, I just need to pursue God and be a good person. And, oh, the power of the spirit. No, I want nothing to do with that. And I want to encourage you guys, whether you're this or whether you're that, let's come here. I want to bring you guys to a place where you desire both the works of the indwelling ministry of the spirit and the empowering. Everybody say, set me on fire. fire. I know some of y'all are just nervous right now. 
And I just want to make one thing clear. I'll never force you to do anything. God's not interested in forcing you to do anything. If there's a part of my message that's making you extremely uncomfortable right now, and you're saying to yourself, man, I'm not interested in that, I want you to know that that's okay. What I'm asking you is just to just pay attention to the message and hear. Discern and see. But know that we're not here as a ministry wanting to shove something down your throat. I'm here to present the word of God. I'm here to present what I believe is the interpretation of the word of God. That's it. Whether, if you guys want it, you're going to come up to the front. If you guys don't want it, you don't need to do that. So if you're feeling that anxiety or that nervousness, just let it go right now. It's all good. Everybody say, it's all good. Some of y'all look at me like, oh, no, she better not pray for me. Like, that better not happen to me. Like, I am not. You know, I could feel that. It's all good, though. That's what I'm saying. It's all good, though. I want you guys to turn with me to Romans chapter 15. I'm sweating. Are you guys hot? Sweating. I mean, the fire of God must be on me. Let me just say, I'm sweating. Romans chapter 15, verse 18 to 19, y'all. Eighteen to nineteen. All right, let's read it together. This is um, Paul speaking here. Ready? Here we go. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to this. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I like how all y'all paused on that word as well. (laughs) For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. This is Paul speaking. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders. By the power of the spirit of God. So that the, so that from Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and all the way around to Illyricum, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul was not interested in doing ministry without the power of the Spirit. He wasn't interested in doing ministry without the signs and the wonders. This was his heart. This is what he. This is what impacted him. You got to remember that Apostle Paul wasn't always Apostle Paul. He used to be Saul of Tarsus. And this Saul of Tarsus used to be a persecutor of Christians. So extreme that he had some killed, murdered, stoned to death. Paul's the same man that wrote, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For we are made a new creation. 
He's someone that totally understands that statement that we're a new creation in Christ because he went from someone that was a complete Christian hater to a person that was like preaching the gospel to the Gentiles with all of his heart, with all of his might, enduring all sorts of suffering, all for the sake of the gospel that he once persecuted. And his journey to get to that place was he got blinded. He was riding his animal to go somewhere. I think it was like a donkey or a horse. I'm going to say animal. And as he's going towards that place, God encounters him supernaturally and calls to him, Saul, Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And boom, his eyes go blind. And it isn't until a couple of scenarios later where someone lays hands on his eyes and his eyes get opened. Saul's experience was supernatural. So when he looks at his experience, he says, listen, I'm, I got to move in the supernatural because that's how God encountered me. This is the ministry that he wanted. The baptism of the spirit is called to empower us. So when we talk about the fire of God, we're talking about a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit can be... Uh, explained in all different kinds of symbols. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is described to be like water or like a dove or whatever different symbols in scripture that the Holy Spirit is described as. But one of the descriptions is the Holy Spirit like fire. And to me, I think this is the one that really stands out. And when God manifested himself, even in Mount Sinai, he came down with fire. And when prophet Elijah set up the altar, God came down in fire. And when the Israelites were walking through the desert in the wilderness, by day they were led by a pillar of smoke, but by night it was by fire. I think there's many reoccurrences where God manifests his presence with fire. And I think that's to explain a part of who he is, a part of who he is that is an all-consuming God. And so when you see the, the natural description of fire, I think it's important to look at that because it gives us understanding of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. First thing is the fire burns. It burns. And I talked about this in an earlier message. It purifies us. When you want pure gold, you need to put it in the fire. And impurities float up to the top and those impurities get taken out and you burn it again. You boil it again in a high, high heat. And again, impurities come up to the top. You scoop it out. Fire does a purifying work in our lives. It purges sin and often the fire of God will cause us to repent. It leads a person to repentance. It burns a zeal of the Lord in your heart. And for me personally, the fire of God, when I, there are times when the fire of God is so strong on me, when I pray for people or when I prophesy over someone that literally my like whole face is bright red. And I like, like I pray for Stephen Beauchamp at our churchwide retreat. And for those that were there, it, it, I, it wasn't natural. Where I was like, oh, I pray for Stephen. Like something happened in that moment where the fire of God consumed me as I prayed for him. And literally I felt the heat within me just burning. 
But the fruit of the fire burning results in purity. The substance of why we need fire in our lives, the fire that leads us to repentance, the fire that that purges our sin, is because God wants to lead us to purity. That's the substance. You know, people can manifest for days, but if they don't bear fruit, what's the purpose of that? And then there are people that don't manifest at all. Like my husband, I never saw my husband shake. I never saw my husband fall. And every time he fell, it was kind of like a courtesy, not a courtesy fall, but like an act of faith. Like I don't feel compelled to, but I'm just going to fall to receive. (laughs) But he never, you know, he doesn't feel the heat. He doesn't, his face doesn't turn red. You know, he doesn't really experience any of those things. But my, my husband's on fire. And you can tell that by the fruit of what happened after those prayers and after those instances. The second thing that the fire does is it illuminates. Fire gives light. And so when the fire of God comes, all of a sudden there's clarity. You, often people get the call of God on their lives when the fire of God comes upon them. Direction. And there's a hunger for the word. Like a zealousness for the word and a greater understanding. It illuminates scripture. Just like when Peter preached, he took the, the book of Joel and he was able to relate that to Christ and what was going on at Pentecost. I believe that it was the fire of God, the spirit of God that enabled him to do that. The, the substance and the fruit of that is just a passion for God's word. And lastly, the fire spreads. When people get on fire for God, they begin to spread that fire to other people. And that fire, it it gives us a a passion for evangelism. It gives us a passion for missions. It gives us a passion for the gospel. It spreads the glory of God. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah in scripture says that the fire, he felt like fire shut up in his bones. He couldn't contain it within himself. He couldn't hold it in. It needed to go out. The substance, the fruit of that, Fire spreading is obviously boldness in evangelism, missions, being able to bless somebody else. Fire burns, fire illuminates, and fire spreads. But like I said, you got to see the fruit. You have to see the substance. The sign is not the end goal. It is pointing to the giver. Let me talk a little bit about how the fire can be received. One way the fire can re- be received is suddenly and dramatically. That's just like the, the Pentecost. It just happened suddenly. People weren't warming up to it. People weren't, you know, getting ready for it. It just happened in the middle of this prayer meeting. Boom, the rushing, the rushing, the rushing wind comes in the room and just tongues of fire, fire, Tongues of fire just began to get released over people. And it says that it was just like a violent, violent wind that came in. And they were all filled with the spirit. Suddenly and dramatically. This is a lot. I can relate a lot to this. The suddenly and the dramatically. Like I said, I got hit with the fire when I was in high school. I got hit in the fire when I was in Korea, when the prayer team laid hands on me. And since then, I got hit with the fire many times after that. 
where it was sudden and boom, I just began to experience the power of God. And my body physically showed that I was experiencing something. And then people can receive the fire quietly. Everybody say quietly. And this receiving the fire quietly can happen when you just receive the substance by faith. This is key. This is really, really important. When you ask God to set you ablaze for him, receive it in faith. Receive it in faith. Don't wait till you shake. Don't wait till you fall. Don't wait till you speak in tongues. These are just signs. Just receive it in faith that God, you want to empower me by your spirit and watch the fruit get born afterwards. Like I said, I've seen people manifest a lot and I've seen very little fruit from those incidents. And I've seen people who didn't manifest at all and I see their lives radically transformed. And when they lead prayer, man, it's with power. When they begin to share with other people about Christ, it's with power. When they begin to read scripture, it's with zeal. Like something gets ignited in their hearts. They didn't shake, they didn't fall, but something happened inside of them. The key is looking at the fruit. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't think I ever received the fire because I didn't, you know, fly four feet away from, you know, the person that was praying for me. And I didn't, you know, like go buck wild and I didn't, you know, clean the floor by rolling back and forth on it. <laughs> you know, they're like, I guess I didn't receive the fire. But the, the question you got to ask is, what's my Christian life like now? And if there is a sincere zeal for the Lord and a boldness that's one of the results, one of, my, one of the key fruits of, of the empowering ministry of, of the Holy Spirit is boldness. Where you are afraid, all of a sudden you become bold, you got the fire. You got the fire. My husband is so bold, it's out of control. And I see him preach messages where I'm like, I would never be able to preach with that kind of boldness. Like, I'm just amazed, you know? Where he would just... It, preach just things where I'm like, oh my gosh, what will people be thinking? And you know, how are they going to handle it? And whatever, whatever, just huge, just preach it, preach it, just boldness. He's got that fire inside of him. And not only does he have that fire inside of him, but he releases fire when he prays for people. But again, it's weird because he's never experienced those manifestations. But when he prays for people, people fall, people cry, people shake. I remember one time we came home from a conference where I was just getting blasted by the spirit. And when I say blasted by the spirit, it means I had a really powerful encounter. And we came home and we were lying in bed and Christian looks at me and he's like, it's not fair. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he goes, how come you get to fall? And how come you get to flop around? And how come you get to, it's not fair. What does it feel like? And he made me sit there and describe it to him. And I was like, I don't know. Well, like, I don't know. All of a sudden I feel this heat creeping up. Like it's different with different prayers. It's different in different situations. And he was like, how do you, what, what? It's not fair. It's not fair. And I remember thinking in my mind, what? Who cares if you didn't experience that? Look at your ministry and look at your life. Everything that you do is on fire on fire. And he was like, well, I can't deny that. I mean, <laughs> that is true. 
And I'm like, you pray for people and people will get on fire. And he's like, yes, yes, they do. <laughs> I was like, forget about the sign. Look at the substance. Look at the fruit. On one hand, I don't want you guys to be afraid of the signs. I want you to be open to it. And I want to encourage you guys. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's powerful. But if you don't experience God in that way, I also want to encourage you, be in faith and receive it. And say, God, I receive the fire in faith. And I declare that you're going to change my life from this point on where I'm going to become bold. Where I'm going to be empowered to do your ministry wherever I am. Look at the substance. Look at the fruit. God wants you to not only be on fire, but he requires for us to keep the fire burning. That's Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. It says the fire must be kept burning. It must not go out. I I had an experience with the fire, but I let it fizzle out. And there are certain things that you can do to let the fire fizzle out. One of the best things you can do if you want to stamp your fire, stomp your fire out, is just disobey. It's as easy as that. Just disobey. Just do something that you know God is saying, don't do that. That's going to easily, it's like pouring a little cup of water there. Or when you just begin to just turn away from other things or allow mixture to come in. When you allow yourself to climb off the altar as a living sacrifice, listen, the fire can't burn if there's nothing to burn. So when we're talking about keep the fire burning, it means remain there in that place where you're laying something down constantly. That keeps the fire burning. And sometimes that fire burning is not going to be an emotional thing. It's going to be more than emotions. Like I said, it's substance and it's fruit. I've been in seasons where emotionally I didn't feel on fire, but I still knew that I was burning for God. John the Baptist says that he baptized with water for repentance. But he who comes after me, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. He will come and baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. This retreat is called Light It Up. And when we name this retreat Light It Up, this is the very message that we all had burning in our hearts. God set everybody on fire. Be set on fire for My Christian walk dramatically changed after encountering God in that way. And there were seasons, yes, I backslid. But when I had different things in place, when I came into a community that was going to hold me accountable, when I got to a place where, where I knew that I was part of, of, of a church that knew how to steward the fire, when I learned how to steward the fire, I didn't learn how to do that when I was in ninth grade, when I fell on the floor for three hours. Nobody, the the pastor left after he did that. And nobody taught us what to do afterwards. 
But when I came to here in Korea and I was part of a community that not only released the fire, but taught me how to steward the fire. It was a complete different experience. And that fire experience transformed my life. And it transformed my walk with God. I want that same transformation for all of you guys here. All of you guys here. God wants to set you on fire. Do you believe that? He wants to set you on fire. And it's not just so you can sit there being on fire and having a grand old time. It's so that you would change lives. It's so that you would impact those around you. I want you guys to just close your eyes.